we are going to dig into Ephesians chapter 1 tonight. Last week, we, um, we focused on the, the praise of God's glorious grace. How many of you guys were here last week and remember kind of what we talked about? Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 was one sentence in the Greek language. So for us, I mean, there's, there's you know, 11 or so verses there, but for in the Greek language, that was one sentence that the Apostle Paul was, he had this praise to God for all the blessings that we have in Christ. He, he praises God for every spiritual blessing that we have in Christ. Praises God that God the Father has chosen us and adopted us into his family as we talked about. He praises God that, that we have redemption and forgiveness in Christ Jesus. That we have an inheritance in Christ Jesus. And, and then he, he finishes off that little section talking about the Holy Spirit sealing us. The Holy Spirit sealing us and being a down payment guarantee for us that, that salvation and inheritance and future glory awaits us. That we belong to God. And so we looked at that. We looked at last week of, of how Paul praises God for his glorious grace. And this week, we have, a whole, we have a whole nother section that is one sentence. This is one Greek sentence. It's about eight verses, uh, Ephesians 1. And this is a prayer. The first, the first long Greek sentence was a praise. And he unpacks blessings. And this next one is a prayer of intercession. If the Apostle Paul was taking a, a college class in English, he would have a lot of marks on his paper for this run-on sentence here. He just goes on. I, actually, if you're in college and you're taking English now, you have something to plead with your English teacher that it's biblical to have run-on sentences. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, had this one long run-on sentence. Uh, I don't know if that'll work for you. but So here's where we're going tonight. So we're, we're going... Here, Paul prays to the Father of glory. So last week we talked about the praise of God, the praise to the praise of His glorious grace. And now there's a prayer to the God of all glory. There's a prayer to the God of all glory asking that the church may gain deep spiritual insight of who God is, what He has done, what He will do, and what the church has. So that's where we're going. In this prayer, you'll see the Apostle Paul is directing his prayer to the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he petitions God, he inquires that God would, would give them spiritual insight. The Ephesian church, those who had been saved, those who had been chosen from before the foundation of the world, that God would give them insight to know him, to to know what he's done, to know what he will do, the hope of their, his calling and, and what the church has in him. Amen? And so that's where we're going. So turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. If you don't have your Bible, uh, it is up on the screen there. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. And actually, would you all stand with me for the reading of God's word? For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is, what is the hope to which He has called you, 
What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe? According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Now there are some profound thoughts here that the Apostle Paul is laying out in his prayer. There were some very profound thoughts in this first section of Ephesians. And just, just to kind of be a little transparent with you, I wrestled with how to simplify this and, and, and break, summarize this and break this down in a way that would be easy for us to understand. I was, as I was studying this and, and I was reminded of what Peter said about the Apostle Paul in his writings. And he said, you know, sometimes Brother Paul, he writes things that are hard to understand, right? The Apostle Paul has some very profound thoughts that he unpacks in his epistles, which makes this prayer all the more relevant for us as we read Paul. You know, we need a spirit of wisdom and revelation. We need God to help, help us get insight to what he is saying, what the Apostle Paul is writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So in verse 15, Paul starts with, For this reason, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord and your love towards all the saints. So the Apostle Paul, most scholars would point back and say that, that, you know, this, he's connecting what he just said in the, in the sentence before this. For this reason. If you have a King James or a New King James, you have a therefore in your Bible. And so it's connecting it with the previous sentence, one sentence, by the way. Uh, but then immediately after that, he says, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, which kind of is a summary of what what happened with the with the Ephesian church. You see, God, Paul starts with God choosing them and adopting them and bringing them into his family. Here's my precious daughter coming up. Yes. He starts, thank you, sweetie. He starts with God adopting, uh, choosing from before the foundation of the world, adopting us, bringing us into his family. Christ redeems us, that we have forgiveness in Christ in chapter 1. God reveals this mystery to us, and then the Holy Spirit seals us. And so, in verse 13 specifically, he already said, In him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed. So the, the Ephesians heard the word and they believed. Okay, and so Paul connects this, verse 15, when I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards the saints. By the way, Christianity has this connection here, this vertical connection, speaking about his faith in Jesus. That's this vertical connection, this relationship with, with God and then this love for people. That's what we should be about as Christians. Loving God and believing and walking in, with him, knowing God, loving people. Okay, we got it right here, big on, on the banner to remind us here. And so, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
this is evidence, this faith and this love that the, the Ephesians have is evidence of God's saving grace in their lives. This is evidence that these people have come to know Jesus. And so Paul is thanking God for his sovereign grace in their lives. And he says, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul was a prayer warrior. And he was praying, he was on his knees before God, crying out for the church. He was a prayer warrior, and he calls us to live the same life. And this prayer that we have of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 is a model for us to pray. There's some great things in here for for us to take away. The first thing I want to point out about the prayer is simply this. He directs it to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. So he directs it to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, you can't know God the Father without knowing Jesus. You can't come to God the Father without first going through Jesus. Some scholars would, would, would argue that this is a Trinitarian prayer because you got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in this prayer. Just like we saw in the praise, the doxology of last week, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you see each person of the Trinity working together in our salvation. Paul prays that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory... He focuses in on who God is. And this is actually the very first thing, the first request that he has is that they would know him. That they would know him. Just think about for a minute who Paul was talking about. This was in verse 11. This is the God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The God who is sovereign and rules and reigns over all. Look forward to verse 21 and 22. This is the God who is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Who is sovereign over all things. This is the God who loved us and chose us and adopted us and brought us into his family. The sovereignty and the, the almighty power of God is foundational for our prayers. We wouldn't come to God in prayer if we didn't believe that he could do something about it, right? And God's glory is displayed in his power and his sovereignty. That's one aspect of how his glory is displayed. We come to God in prayer like the Apostle Paul did because God can do something about our situation. He can answer our prayers. He's able. Our God is able. He's able. He's able to to answer. He's able to deliver. He's able to fix this brokenness that we live in. And so we pray to him. Now, some might take this idea of God being sovereign and God choosing us as a reason to, to not pray. That's a bad application of that. This should move us and motivate us to pray because God can act and do something about our situation. Amen? And not only can he, not only is he able, he's willing. He's gracious and loving. He's a gracious and loving God. This is foundational for us in prayer. When we come to God, the Father of glory, Jesus taught us to call him Father, by the way, right? Pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So he taught us to pray like this. And Jesus says, if you ask your Father for something good, he's going to give it to you. He gives good gifts to those who ask Him. This is basic for prayer. And so I I, want to encourage us in our prayer life, looking at the Apostle Paul and his 
prayer directed to the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, our prayers are acceptable only because of Jesus Christ. You see, we wouldn't have any basis for even coming to God in our own righteousness and our prayers being heard because we have sinned against the holy God. Why would He hear and answer our prayers? But because of Jesus. Because we have righteousness in Jesus. We are in Christ. We have this close relationship with God. The the Ephesians had come into that relationship. They had come into a relationship with God. But notice how Paul begins to pray for them that they would get to know Him better. You see, those who come to know God want to know Him better. You know, it's not just about getting fire insurance, okay? Like, okay, I'm going to heaven. I, 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 I repented and put my faith in Jesus and now I can just kind of chill, not pursue Him or not live for His purposes. Those who really know God want to know Him more. And the Apostle Paul prays that the Ephesians would know Him more. So he prays to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. By the way, when the Bible speaks of God's attributes and it has these titles, they reveal aspects of who God is. So like when the Bible in Romans, Paul writes in Romans 15, 13, he says, May the God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace and believing and cause hope to abound by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he says stuff like that. He connects his prayer the title of who God is with the, with the prayer or the blessing that he's praying or speaking over people. This week I had the privilege of um, giving an invocation and a uh, benediction at a new community court that opened here in the northeast Dallas. And so I'm standing before lots of police officers, city officials and, and attorneys and so on. And I pray to the God of justice and mercy. And pray that through that court system, justice and mercy would take place. The Bible uses these titles for God, these these different names that God has. And they tell us about who He is and how He functions out of who He is. What He does based on who He is. And He's the Father of all glory. He deserves all glory as we saw last week. That there's this praise to Him, to His glory. The praise to His glorious grace. As I was studying this, I was reminded of Moses, how Moses prayed to God and he said, show me your glory. Moses had encountered God. He had met with God. He'd heard from God. He encountered him at the the burning bush. And and Moses was called by God to lead the Israelites out out of Egypt, out of slavery. Moses prays to God. He says, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God causes his goodness to pass before him. Causes his goodness to pass before him and proclaims his name, the Lord gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And Moses gets a glimpse of God's glory, of who he is. This is similar to what the Apostle Paul desires and prays for the Ephesians. That they would know him better. If you got the NIV or the NLT, uh, verse 17 says that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Other translations say a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now this is huge because if we're going to have an effective prayer life, we need to know the one to whom we're praying to do. 
We need to know that He's sovereign and He's able to answer. And we need to know that He's good and gracious and He's willing and eager to answer our prayers and act on our behalf. He cares. What do you think you, if you had a relationship with the most powerful person in the world, the most wealthy person in the world, the most loving person in the world, and you had access to that person any time, would you utilize that? Of course you would. You would be asking that person for wisdom, for guidance. You would, you would want to spend time with that person. And we have this with God. We have this relationship with God. And He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. We are spiritually rich in Christ Jesus. We have everything we need in Christ Jesus. And as D.A. Carson says in his book, Praying with Paul, he says this, that prayer is God's appointed means for appropriating the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. Prayer is God's appointed means for appropriating the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. Last week we looked at how he unpacks in that first section of Ephesians all the blessings we have in Christ Jesus. Prayer is the means that God uses to appropriate those blessings. Paul prays that, that the Ephesians would see how blessed they really are. And first and foremost, that they would know God. And that's the greatest blessing, that we get Him. That we get this relationship with Him. That we get to know the one true living God. And again, that's what we're about here. Knowing Jesus, loving people, and impacting your world. If we don't know Jesus and we're doing a lot of great stuff, then it's all going to be for nothing when we stand before Him and, and we would hear those words depart from me. I never knew you. God forbid that that should be anybody here. We want to know Him. And we want to grow in our knowledge of Him. We want to pursue Him. So Paul prayed that they would get to know God better. That he, God would grant them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. A lot of translations have that, that word spirit with a lowercase s. Uh, a few of them have it like this ESV translation. Or that's the NIV. And I think the ESV, some ESVs have it with the capital S. So there's, there's, some, there's a couple of different things going on there. One is, so if it's the big S, then that's the Holy Spirit, right? That's speaking of the Holy Spirit. May He give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. One thing that's kind of, that, that makes that difficult to, to take it like that is, is that He's already said that, verse 13, that the Ephesians were, are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So they, are, they already had the Holy Spirit, right? Yes? They had the Holy Spirit living inside them. When you become a Christian, you get the Holy Spirit. So that's one thing you've got to kind of wrestle through. The other way you know to look at is just with the lowercase s is that there those it's spiritual insight it's wisdom and revelation that comes through the holy spirit but he's the one who conveys the blessings that we have in god he's the one who gives us revelation that we might know god we need the holy spirit we need his guidance we need him to illuminate our eyes and open up our eyes and that's what paul prays for that they may know Him better, that they would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that they may know Him better. Look at what else He prays for in verse 18. He says, Having the eyes of their hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. That you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. So He prays that the eyes of their hearts would be opened, enlightened, that they would, they would be able to see their eyes would be open to see all that they have in Christ Jesus. That they would see how blessed they really are, and specifically that they would see this hope 
to which He's called us. So this hope, biblically speaking, hope is not something that's, that lacks assurance. Hope is this, this assurance, this looking forward and assurance and confidence that something will happen. And so this hope that we have points us to the future. And a part of this hope that we have as Christians is God's going to come back. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to make all things new. And we're going to be changed into His image. There's going to be no more sin, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more cancer. There's going to be no more adultery and murder and wars. God is going to change everything and make all things new. And so we, we look forward to this. Romans 8 says that creation longs for this revealing of the, the children of God and, and, and the redemption that's coming when Christ returns. So we look forward to this blessed hope. And it changes the way we live. It motivates us to live holy lives when we have this hope inside of us. When we got something to look forward to. If we don't have that, we just kind of, we tend to live aimlessly. We tend to live without purpose, without passion, without direction. And so Paul prays that they would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened, that they may know the hope to which he's called them. You guys know that old song by Paul Balash? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. That's a great prayer to pray. That's a biblical prayer to pray. Open the eyes of my heart. See, if you're struggling with hope right now, if, you, if you're looking at this nation and our situation politically and world trouble and you're struggling with hope for what's going on here, pray that God would open the eyes of your heart to see that there is hope specifically for those who are in Christ. There's this hope of God's calling to look forward to. The second thing that Paul prays for is that they would know that what the riches of his glorious inheritance is in the saints. Now some would take this to mean inheritance of Christians. Okay? So we've we've already looked at that in verse 11. A lot of other commentators and scholars would say this is actually speaking about God's inheritance, okay, his inheritance, that they would know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So what's that mean? Okay, is, is it they would understand what God's glorious inheritance is. So there's some Old Testament verses that speak it, that use this language concerning Israel, that Israel was God's own special possession. There's New Testament language that talks like, he says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. As Christians, this ought to amaze you. We are God's inheritance. In John, Jesus describes the church as those whom the Father had given him. Uh, Psalm 2, you know, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. You see, the church... It's God's inheritance. Ephesians 5 says we're, the church is, is Christ's bride. We're, we're God's own special treasured people. And what this speaks about is our value to God. He loves us. 
He treasures us. He treasures us so much that he sent, the Father sent His Son, Jesus, to purchase us, to redeem us, to bring us in to the fold. God values you and me. He values our lives. We're His inheritance. Now, we have a great inheritance in Him. And He is our God. He is our King. He's our Father. And we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Him. And we, we get relationship with Him. He's our portion, as the Scripture says. But we're also His. We belong to Him. And He enjoys us. God doesn't just put up with you. He enjoys you. He takes delight in you. Not just some future you, but you who are in Christ Jesus, you are accepted in the Beloved. And the Father delights in you. You belong to Him. You're His special treasure. Those of you who are parents kind of know what we're talking about here. you got children that you treasure and you value. They belong to you. They're yours. They're gifts from God. And so we're God's inheritance. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal this to us. We need the Spirit of God to open the eyes of our understanding to grasp this. Actually, Paul prays another prayer in Ephesians 3. And he prays that the by the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Ephesians would be able to grasp the depth, the width, the height, and the length of God's love. That they would be able to get it. And you know what, church? We struggle to really get it, to really know how much God loves us. Having three children of my own, I know I try really hard at times to tell them that I love them, and it's like sometimes I just don't feel like it gets through to them. Like they really understand that I'm, I'm, I'm for them and I'm committed to doing them good. I, I, I'm their dad. And so I tell them over and over, every day, multiple times a day, I love you, I love you, I love you, son, I love you, daughter. And God, over and over, does the same for us. And, and Paul prays that we, the church, that the Ephesian church, and get this, that we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, that we would know his love. The next thing is God's power. He prays that they would know the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at at His right hand in heavenly places. So the next thing is that Paul prayed that we would know His power, that the church would know His power. Don't settle for a Christianity without power. Don't settle for a Christianity without power. The Christian life is powerful. And this is something that we should experience. And if we're not experiencing the power of God, then we need to do what Paul's doing right here. And we need to pray for it. We need to believe God for it. For God to move powerfully in our lives because Christ is in us. He wants to bring His kingdom here on earth through our lives. And we're to pray into that. Notice what He compares His power to and. He compares it to when God the Father raised Christ from the dead. That power. Now, most of us, when we would think of power, we would probably go towards, I I know I would, and and others would probably think about, you know, the power of of God creating everything. Creating the earth and the heavens and, and everything. That speaks of God's power. The Psalms actually use that language to describe God's power. The Lord made the heavens. You know, He's the one 
who's in charge and he's all powerful. But here Paul points to the resurrection that God raises the dead. Who can do that? Who has the power to raise the dead? God has the power to raise people from the dead. He raised Christ from the dead, and he's going to raise us up with him. So there's, there's actually three things here that Paul points to. The resurrection of Christ, and then the exaltation of Christ. He seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. So he raised him up, he exalted him, and then the next thing is that he, verse 21, that he placed him far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Christ's resurrection, Christ's exaltation, and then Christ's dominion. We see the power of God on display. Now this was huge for the Ephesians, and I think this is huge for us today, because the Ephesians lived under the Roman rule. The Roman Empire was the most powerful empire. They were dominating the world at that time. In Ephesus, Ephesus was a, a big city, a wealthy city, and they had some demonic power and activity go, taking place there. As we, if you read Acts 19 this week, there was some occultic practices there and, and magic there were powers that Paul writes about in Ephesians 6, principalities and powers. He explained to the Ephesians that there's this spiritual war going on and that there's powers to, to wrestle against, that Christians have to wrestle against. But here, this, this should encourage the Ephesians and encourage us that God's power is greater than them all. That He rules and He reigns. He raises the dead. He exalted Christ. To the highest place, he rules, he's sovereign. He's sovereign. Again, this, this is basic for our prayer. This should encourage us in our prayers. As I was meditating on this and thinking about this, I was reminded of Elijah in the Old Testament where Elijah prays that his servant, there was an army coming against him, prays that, that God would open his eyes and he sees this heavenly host more for them than against them. And we need God to do the same with us. We need Him to open our eyes to see that He's more powerful than any government, than any president, than any ruler on the face of this planet. There's, there are some world powers in tension right now. And we're, we're starting to see some of the world powers kind of flex their muscles. And it's kind of intimidating. You know, you're just little old me and you here in Dallas, Texas. But... We should take courage and be, have confidence when we look at the power of God. When, when our eyes are open to see this one who is all-powerful, who rules and reigns over the nations. And this should fuel our prayer lives. This should enable us to pray effectively, to pray more, power, more powerful prayers. Believe God for, for big things. What are you believing God for right now? What are you praying for God to display his power in? You know, Paul could have been praying for all kinds of things. You know, Paul has other prayers in, in the epistles. And actually, if, if you want to a, read a book and do a study on the apostolic prayers of Paul, D.A. Carson has a great book called Praying with Paul. I've used that. And I've, I've been rereading some of the chapters there 
that, that are connected with Ephesians. Study the prayers of Paul and, and, and take notes for how he prays and use those apostolic prayers to pray over yourself, over your family, over our church. Let's pray that we would be a church who knows God better. That we would be a church who knows the hope of His calling. That we would be a church who knows the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. That we would be a church that knows the measurable greatness of His power towards us who believe. So lastly here, here's just some application. And I just mentioned this. Use this as a model for, for prayer. Seek to get to know God better through prayer and through His Word. Perhaps there's somebody here tonight that doesn't know God yet. If you don't know God, if you're here and you're unsure and you don't know if you have a relationship with God, if you're right with God, you know, you can begin that today. If God's drawing your heart and there's this desire within you to know Him, that's the Holy Spirit and you respond to that. You turn to Him in faith. You enter into this relationship with Him and you experience salvation. Forgiveness of your sins and this relationship and you have eternal life simply by putting faith in Jesus and what he's done for you. And then there's many of us who, probably most of us here, who, who know God already, but we need to know him better. We need to quit coasting spiritually. You would think after the amazing things that Paul said in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, that he would have just said, you know, hey, you guys are great. Just coast on into heaven. Or whatever, you know, whatever. You, you think you would have thought that he would say something like, just, just take it easy now. No, he prays that these Ephesian Christians would know God better. That they would be able to grasp all that they have in Christ. Who they are in Christ. Who he is and what he's done. What he's going to do. Also want to encourage you to study the attributes of God, the titles of God, the, the works of God. Spend time just meditating on who God is. If you're going to know him better Study His names. The Lord heals. The Lord, our righteousness. Uh, the Lord will provide. It's different names revealed in Scripture. The God who sees. The God of justice. The God of mercy. The God of peace. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God of glory. The God of all grace. I mean, chew on those titles because each of those titles and names speak about His attributes. Who He is and what He does. And let that just fuel your worship. Let it fuel your prayer life so, so you know the one who you're actually requesting prayers from. He wants you to know him. When we know him, we're going to pray differently. We're going to pray with confidence. We're going we're to come to him. When we know he's, he's loving and gracious, we're going to be more eager to come to him. Kind of like my little girl just earlier, just, she came right up to me. Right, and she didn't care that everybody else was, you know, we're, we're having church right now. She knows Daddy loves her and is for her, so she can walk up to Daddy anytime she wants. And we can come boldly before the throne of God's grace because we are loved by Him. We're accepted in the Beloved. God values us as His children. Also, recognize your need for prayer and for the Holy Spirit. You know, prayer really is an expression of humility. I mean, when we, when we bow our knees to prayer, we're saying, God, I can't do this. Only you can do this. And so I'm, I'm asking you to do something here. I'm humbling myself, asking you, God, because you're the one who can change this. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, God says, 
and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. God can do that. And we need the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. Even in our prayer life, Paul says in Romans 8.26, he says, we don't know how to pray as we ought to, but the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses with groanings. He helps us in our weaknesses, and He makes intercession for us. And so He helps us even in our weakness in prayer, where we don't know how to pray. The Holy Spirit comes and He helps us and He guides us and He intercedes for us. He leads us into this intimate relationship with God and He leads us to to pray more effective prayers. And lastly is believe God to work powerfully in your life. Again, what are you believing God for to do powerfully in your life? Let's believe Him for great things. I mean, City Church was was built on prayer. I mean, we've, we've been a praying people from the very beginning. Prayer and evangelism. Those are two things that we've given ourselves to and God has worked through those things. And you know what? Prayer and evangelism are actually two things that so many in the church are most weak at. Unfortunately, it's like those are those are like the two biggest weaknesses in the church. We we need a fight. That's how we need a fight, church. We need to pray and we need to proclaim the gospel. And that's what makes an impact. That's what the early church did. They prayed, they prayed, they prayed, and they proclaimed the word, and the word spread, and God did miracles, God changed lives, God saved households, God brought revival, God uh, uh, impacted the economy in Ephesus and other places. I mean, he just, he changed things. People's hearts were being changed, and they were repenting and, and, and getting rid of their wicked practices and coming to God. And that happened through prayer and the proclamation of the gospel. So let's be about that church. If you want prayer, now I invite you to come.